NFTs take you down to the place by the river. They sold for $69 million at Christie's Auction House. Welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. This is a podcast run by artists for artists where we talk about what it means to be one. I'm Tun Miai, the producer with our host, Dina Brodsky. This is being recorded between our many jobs and side hustles. We bring you in-depth investigations into the lives of artists we admire and the stories behind the creative journey. So stay on the grind while we fill your mind. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Art Grind. Um, this is Dina Brodsky and Tan Yang. Marshall actually show up for this because he hates the subject so much. Um, <laughs> we're interviewing Raphael Hopstra about NFTs, which is something that uh, everyone and their mother is talking about this week. For the record, uh, I kind of hated the idea of NFTs too. So Raphael is here to possibly tell us otherwise. So Dina, please tell us how you met Raphael and uh, how he is involved with NFTs and, and the art world in general. <laughs> okay, so I um, you asked for it. I, I met Raphael probably about almost 10 years ago on a park bench in, in India. And I had a sketchbook and I was drawing and Raphael had a guitar. And apparently he was uh, sleeping on, on that park bench in India. Uh, is that right? Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> I was very curious who this pretty girl was and what she was sketching. So I had to come and find out. And then you played Leonard Cohen on a guitar, which uh, honestly, my entire life, I'd been waiting for someone to uh, <laughs> you know, play Leonard Cohen on a guitar on a bench. It sounds like you a know. beginning of a rom-com. <laughs> uh, could be. But it, it, most girls wouldn't be into it. Like, Leonard Cohen, this is like songs just let your wrists by. Not for me. But you seem to like it. I, I did like it. And I think we wandered around um, like Jaipur for a few days. We, I, somehow, like I barely knew your name. Like I definitely didn't know your last name. And then we're like, well, we're just never going to see each other again. So I thought never. We met up a little later in Udaipur where they filmed one of the James Bond movies, uh, Octopussy. Nice. Oh, God, we saw, we saw Octopussy. <laughs> did, yeah, did yeah, yeah. there was a, a restaurant where we had dinner where they played Octopussy every night. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's all there is to know about Udaipur. It's got this right. beautiful lake where they filmed the film. That's really cool. Yeah. And uh, our, our story, our connection pauses there for a, about a year until another park bench on a continent far away. <laughs> okay, so the next time we met was by accident um, the, on a park bench in Amsterdam. Exactly the same setup. I'm wandering around with my guitar, homeless as usual. <laughs> uh, I was busking, I believe, that day. And then I, I saw the same girl, and I couldn't for the life of me think of her name, sketching in the, was it the Rembrandt plane? Yeah, it was the Rembrandt plane. I had my sketchbook. I'd been in Amsterdam for about an hour at that point. Like, like I was bicycling up from Frankfurt to Copenhagen. Amsterdam was the one place that I knew along the way. And I kind of thought that I'd be really nostalgic because the time I've been, you know, the, the last time I was there, I was 19 and adventurous and romantic. And then this time I was jaded and I guess a little bit brokenhearted. And um, so I sat down on, on Rambo Plain to draw on a park bench. And this guy sat down next to me with a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Did you play the same song? <laughs> Probably. I mean, you know, a handful of songs. I was like, I bet you'll like Leonard Cohen again. <laughs> <laughs> Just curious, which Leonard Cohen song was it? Uh, I played something, but Dina requested, I lit a thin green candle. No, I didn't. No? Because, no, I didn't. You, um, I, I remember what you played. I, I never I never liked that one. Uh, you played, uh, you know who I am, you stared at this, you know, that, that oh, one. I love that. I love but, uh, that. Fast forward. I mean, I, I guess the next time we met up, it must have been on purpose, right? Like, like, like that was the end of our meeting in you know random places around the world on park benches. So. Mm, the next place was we came to visit a small town where I was living, small city, Tarragona in Spain. Made an amazing miniature painting of the amphitheater, the Roman amphitheater ruins there, which I still have to this day. It's gorgeous. And I believe that is where you started your now infamous Instagram account. 
Um, I did. Mm -hmm. I did start my Instagram account. I wandered around Tarragona drawing and that part was really good. But the rest of the time I was determined to, um, I guess I was just determined to have an art career. And I was like, I'm going, you know, while I'm here, you're working on your PhD. And I was like, I'm going to apply to every single grant and redo my website and start an Instagram account and just do every single thing. And then I spent months getting rejected from all the grants that I applied to, you know, while while staying with Tarragona. (laughs) The, and was that the last time we saw each other? You know, we, we saw each other uh, in life. Uh, oh, how could you? Remember, how could you forget Paris? <laughs> oh my! Oh my God! I did forget Paris. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. And the, then there is one more time in Paris, and probably the last seven years of talking to each other on, on, on the on, last on, tango in Paris. Yeah. Hey, we were we were going to meet one year ago. I was in New York City, but something happened approximately one year ago. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had to. Well, Dina was trapped in Boston. I was in New York and had to leave in a hurry. So it, it never really happened, but would have been great to see you there. Our paths never really crossed in New York and then COVID started. God, since then, I feel like I've talked to you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. Some people you fade away from over time. Even at a distance, we came to, seem to get closer. And it's through, I don't know, well, friendship, but also working together, collaborating. Um, so I sucked you into the art world and I think you're sucking me into the world of cryptocurrency, which is actually what we're here to talk about. <laughs> oh yes. Yes. Actually, we got Raphael here because he's going to serenade us with some Leonard Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> actually, can you get your guitar out? Um, <laughs> yeah. Forget um, NFTs. We, you're just going to sing us Leonard Cohen. <laughs> uh, I've got a ukulele close by if you need, but otherwise I just sing. <laughs> NFTs take you down to the place by the river. They sold for $69 million at Christie's auction house. Beautiful. Um, Tom, you're not editing that out. You know that's No. Scary. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Okay, so, so um, Raphael, you, you lived on park benches, you hitchhiked through Afghanistan, uh, you, you got a PhD, you had all these kind of crazy adventures. How did you end up in the world of cryptocurrency? Mm. That's a long story, and I'll try, try to keep it short. But I think with many people, it comes to a friend. So my, for me, it was a friend called Sasha, and he was a wild guy. We, we had all kinds of adventures, including sleeping under the stars in the Transylvanian mountains of Romania, learning bushcraft skills and building shelters. And yeah, I don't think he'd mind me saying he's a wild guy. First thing he does in the morning is drink his own piss. <laughs> he swears by it for health benefits and jumping in rivers. He's an incredible, funny, lovely guy. We and will he got circle into crypto back on that. early and he hooked me in in 2016. Wow. So <laughs> pee drinking got so, you into <laughs> cryptocurrency. Yeah, I, I, bur- I bought my first tiny little bit of Bitcoin on the, the day of the presidential election of 2016 because, you know, I wanted to get into it, but also it was like, okay, I think Trump's going to get elected. I think the world's going to end. I'm going to bet on Bitcoin. <laughs> Oh, you so that fig- was my day. You, you figured the dollar would collapse. Uh, yes, and it never really has collapsed. It's, it's devalued because they keep making more of them, but, and Bitcoin has done quite well. Do you remember how much one Bitcoin was in 2016? I do. I was thinking in euros at the time, so I recall 800 euros. So It's probably like 1,000. Under, just under 1,000. Just under, yeah. Um, so two questions for you. Um, one, when did you get your first NFT? And two, for, uh, for everyone listening um, who doesn't know what it is, like I didn't several weeks ago, what's an NFT? Uh, not, not necessarily in, the, in that order, actually. but uh... oh, yeah. we'll, we'll get there briefly. Basically, I imagine most people have heard of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency at the moment. It's digital money, and it can be a big stretch of the imagination to understand how this works. But also, do you know how your credit card works or your Venmo? It's, it's digital money as well. It's just you, you got familiar with that one day, and here's a new system, which maybe you could get familiar with too. 
the, the key property of it is that you own it. You're not trusting a bank with it. So current cryptocurrency, such as Bitcoin, is interchangeable. One Bitcoin is as good as another Bitcoin. They're the same. And the, the technical word for that, the financial word, is fungible. It's an old medieval Latin word. And uh, there, so what, is, what if something's not interchangeable? So interchangeable things is like $1 is as good as another dollar. One gold coin as good as another gold coin. One Bitcoin is as good as another Bitcoin. But diamonds, they're all unique, graded by quality and size, number of carats, clarity, all these metrics. So each diamond is not fungible. And we say this word non-fungible. I hope that makes sense as an analogy. No, that, that's perfect. You could also say that a, a, a painting, a piece of fine art is non-fungible. Um, where okay. a print might be might be fungible in many copies. Okay, so just unique, right? Is, is that absolutely a, is fungible? Just a word for unique. Okay, it right. is. Yep. Um, uh, uh, non fungible is unique. Right, right. right. Um, but then n n u t doesn't sound nearly. <laughs> <laughs> what does all of this have to do with art? Great question. It, in the beginning, it didn't have anything to do with it. The first iteration of this was in 2012. And it was on the, bit, the Bitcoin network. They were called colored coins. They took one tiny fraction of a Bitcoin, a, ten, a hundred millionth, in fact, one Satoshi. And they associated that, or they tried to associate this with a stock or a piece of property or a piece of art. Tried to make some link. And honestly, it, it never really took off. It never, never got adopted. That was the first inkling of it. In, and this continued in another iteration because Ethereum came along, which is a separate blockchain, similar to Bitcoin, but much more flexible. You can do a lot more with it. Could you tell people who created Ethereum? Because that's pretty interesting. Sure. Ethereum, it was a small group of developers. And the big personality known of it is Vitalik Buterin. 21 year old. Uh, yeah, really young. Russian ancestry, Canadian whiz kid. I've been to a few conferences with him and he managed to stay humble besides being very famous and incredibly wealthy. And uh, it actually started as a crowdfunding exercise, but completely decentralized. Not an initial public offering, but an initial coin offering. They said, we're creating Ether, Ethereum network. Send us some Bitcoin and you'll get some Ethereum. This was how it, how it was born in, I believe, 2015, but possibly 2014. 2015, I think. And that's the same year that the first NFT was created as well. So, so the first, the underlying token is called Ether that fuels this network of Ethereum. I know, a lot of jargon. A lot of terminology. Um, yeah, yeah. But by the way, guys, my main fear with with this episode is that we're going to bore people to tears. So bore you to tears and lose you. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. No, no, no. But this is this is the important part, guys, though. I, I stay with us, guys. Like we we, we need to understand this stuff. Like yeah. we live in a world where even though um, you know there's a, a lot of you guys probably feel like me. I hate this stuff. I, I hate that this is going on. I hate that we need to understand it. But that being said, I, I feel like we just do. And Raphael is our, you know, my personal best shot at it. So, which, which is why we've got him on right now. <laughs> Very kind. I'm telling you a little story, but we're going to come around to art, as you asked. The first NFTs in 2015 were called Etheria, and they were like a virtual world. You could buy a piece of land or a piece of sea. It was very clunky and pixelated. But it was the first start. And now they're collector's items. They're like retro pieces. Where this really got a boom was 2017 with Crypto Kitties. These were cats, pictures of cats. This, you know, this isn't making me hate this any less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are I'm cartoon sorry. cats that you can breed like uh, Pokemon or something. I don't know yeah. if that's the right analogy, but... Yeah, but there was uh, CryptoPunks before CryptoKitties, right? 
I'm not familiar. So I've seen them recently because there are all these retro things are in vogue. But but you know about these, Tom? Uh, well, I just know that I think uh, CryptoPunks came out before by these two brothers, and it was generated by an AI or something like that. And then each CryptoPunk had a very unique personality. So those things are selling for you know a lot now because it was the first. I think they were the first to try to make art out of the Ethereum. Um, mm. Yeah, and then I, I think, think CryptoKitties right. came afterwards. Uh, was it was it CryptoKitties at least well animated, uh, or, or did they just look like Minecraft characters? So? They were no. they were well designed. I don't remember if they moved or not. I hope they did. I, I owned a couple and I bred them and. I had a male cat, so I sired some babies for others. My cat got paid for siring cats with females. It's weird. I feel like that must have been some year where we weren't talking much. Or you just didn't tell me about this part of your life. I wouldn't have laid down. No, you wouldn't have approved. (laughs) Your crypto cat was like the artificial inseminator or maybe the sperm donor for... (laughs) you know, for, for, for a bunch of female crypto cats. Exactly. Um, Which came out with like, like the phenotypes, the different properties of the male, the father and the, the mother. Okay. All crazy stuff. Uh, so just to say that NFTs, these non-fungible tokens can represent anything unique. So they're being used for domain names. They're being used for virtual worlds and sports collectibles like baseball cards. And one other application, which we'll focus on, I guess, will be artworks. And they've, they had this big boom in 2017 with the CryptoKitties, which was the peak of the, the bubble or the bull market of cryptocurrencies. And then it, it all went quiet in a bear market of cryptocurrencies for a good two to three years, more than two years. We had this resurgence in 2020, bull market, and it's... Well, who knows if it's peaking now, but it sure feels very bubblish. We had Bitcoin rise, Ether rise, all the altcoins, the alternative currencies, small little tokens, rise, decentralized finance, a whole other application of this technology rise. DeFi. And now we're back to NFTs again. The bubble keeps getting bigger. I don't know where it goes next, of course, but <laughs> NFTs are the hot thing of the moment. And they're an opportunity for artists, love them or hate them. It's worth to at least under- know what they are. Could you explain, like you did to me last time we spoke, uh, what happens and what, what the thing is? Because an NFT is, is just a key. Like when you purchase it, right? Like what's happening? Right. Uh, um, I, and, and actually let's wait, 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 even before we get to this, what is an art and a, you know, like, like an art NFT, because, uh, one of the reasons I, I hate it so much is because it feels like it's just a JPEG, right? So it's a JPEG with some magic technology behind it. Is that it's correct? Not even. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, let's be fair, Janet. It could be a JPEG or a PNG file. Or a movie. <laughs> even better. Yeah. You can have movie files. You can have music, video. Uh, Kings of Leon has released their album on this. There's a, a DJ. I believe it's pronounced Blau. It's written three L-A-U. They've released their latest, I guess it's album, their latest DJ mix as NFTs. Um, so any of these formats, of course. But what, what is it? Yeah, it's, it's a digital file that instead of being copyable, like everything else, one person owns. Um, but other people can still copy it, just not the thing, you know, like other people can still kind of spread the image around, correct? Correct. Just okay. as I've been to the Fuzzi uh, Gallery and I believe I photographed Birth of Venus. I hope I got that right. <laughs> or the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. You can photograph it, but you don't own the original. Yeah. And um, there are smart contracts you can add into the NFT, right? But unlike buying a photograph, like a digital copy of like, let's say a photograph from a photographer 
and you will get certain copyrights for it. Like you might have rights to distribute or, you know, resell them with an NFT. You don't even own copyrights. If that makes any sense. Unless you add a smart contract, right? I'm not aware of the copyright laws about this. In a sense, it's, it's like law needs to catch up with technology on this front, I think, because it's, it's unstoppable code. Um, you can try and sue people after the fact. And I, I can tell you that um, DC and Marvel have been sending some cease and desist letters to the artists who created these, their characters, <laughs> for example. But you can't stop it if someone chooses to, to mint these items, to right. mint these artworks. Mint is a word for create. Yeah. So I could take right now a digital photo, a digital file, a photograph of the Mona Lisa. I can mint it. Even though I didn't make it, it is mine now. It is. But it's still... But that said, well, will anyone want it? <laughs> will anybody want it? Yes. So the question is why, um, so, so, so I guess part of the reason that we're, we're having this conversation is that um, an artist named Beeple and uh, what, what kind of asshole calls themselves Beeple, right? <laughs> uh, just sold an NFT for $69 million. And, 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 and now the whole art world is talking about NFTs, right? Including us. Yep. Uh, um, but, but it's still, it's still just a JPEG. Right. Like like you own, you know, like you get, I guess it's, it's almost like bragging rights. You can say that you owe it. Um, I, like, like, like I, I feel like this is I feel like we're living in some sort of sci fi novel where I don't I don't even understand the rules anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there are no rules. <laughs> No, no, we've got Raphael here because he might know the rules. What, what, what are the rules of this? The rules in the Ethereum world are code is law. As in, if you can put it into the code, it's programmed in. But it's just a JPEG. Yeah. And oil paintings are just oil on canvas. I'm sorry. So it, so it comes to the subjective value question. Uh, okay, okay. So, okay, okay. I, I got you. So we as a society have gone uh, completely mad, right? And have decided that a JPEG of something is as valuable or more valuable than an actual object. So, so, so um, do, do you get, you know, it's, it's kind of like if we're sitting around right now in a bar uh, in, you know, in Holland, in like, you know, 17th century Delft, and you came up to me and you were like, I got this uh, really rare variety of tulip petals. Mm. <laughs> petal, right. Um, and that blew up. So do you think this will? No. And being half Dutch, my father is <laughs> being half Dutch, offended by the tulip now. Yeah. Completely offended. <laughs> People have made the analogy many times, and yeah. it's been debunked because that was very small, very localized, and lasted a very short time. Although it was clearly a bubble, it was. But if you want to call this, I don't disagree that this is a, a bubble. <laughs> you could say that. All the markets, real estate, stocks, everything's bubbling in a way. But Bitcoin was born in 2009. And I wish I had the number in front of me, but it's up so many million X or it's preposterous from no value to one cent, 10 cents, a dollar, $10, $1,000, $10,000. Now we're around $50,000. And sure, it's been uh, volatile in that time, but it's a, it's a, volatile line going up and to the right and nfts yep they had a bubble in 2017 then they cooled off and now they're having another bubble but they never died and part of things on the blockchain is that they are immutable in theory they last forever for as long as the blockchain lasts forever which believers like like gus would like to say which is as long as the internet exists it's very hard to take down it's not like Twitter where you can get banned. You're not going to lose your YouTube channel. If you've put it on the blockchain, it's there for good. So these 
things created in 2015, the first NFTs, and the CryptoPunks that Ton mentioned, they're still there. And years later, they get rediscovered. So it's certainly a bubble, but it's not going away. It's not going away as long as people keep believing in it. Much like, uh, do you remember Tinkerbell and Peter Pan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's some point when she gets badly injured and, you know, it turns out that basically like she'll die if no one believes in her. So all she needs to kind of come back to life is everyone who's around, you know, as many people as possible to just believe that she exists. So as long as we do the Tinkerbell thing and believe that this exists, and obviously there's enough people who, you know, are less skeptical than me. I I would use uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods as an analogy, not Tinkerbell. Instead of of Tinkerbell. Yeah, because these are not Tinkerbell characters that are moving this market. These are the American Gods. I believe there was a very specific, uh, like, techno god or something in there, right? Tech god within that universe. This would be it. Didn't they make you read that book at some point and like, and now you remember the plot and I don't No, I, I watched the show recently. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> because I forgot every single thing that happened in the book. Yeah. Uh, okay. The, um, so um, let's get back to NFTs and art. Um, so, um, so, um, so art has always been, you know, in a way it's always been a tulip mania kind of thing, right? A, a piece of art is worth as much as people say, you know, pe- people think it is. So, you know, a piece of digital art, um, which is kind of a JPEG is worth as much as, you know, as much as people think it is, which right now is up to $69 million. So is that correct? Correct. It is. And I think it's important uh, to make it to acknowledge digital artwork as in natively digital artwork. So people didn't come out of the blue. Okay, he has a quirky, funny name and a very bizarre uh, photo that he uses on his Twitter and things. But he started creating digital artworks 20 years ago and creating a new one every day for 20 years. Now they're called the Beeple Everydays. And that comes to 5,000 of them so far. And those 5,000 were stitched together into one, uh, what do you call it? One enormous image. And that is the enormous JPEG that sold at Christie's and made the third highest price of an artwork by a living artist. So whether you like it or not, I think it's worth acknowledging that digital art is a thing in and of itself. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I, I don't like it, but you're right. There is good digital art out there. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, you know, there's a completely different culture, like pop culture where digital artists are more well-known, which is separate from the world, the art world of like, you know, uh, academic painters or uh, abstract painter, like contemporary painters like who don't is- care about this other world, but it's, it was, has been there for ages. Like it's just, you know. But now this is the this is their time to shine. They're finally getting like recognition, or at least getting paid for the art. So for them, this this is a great moment because now they can actually put concrete value on their artwork, or at least before they couldn't sell it because again, you can keep copying, you know, a digital file over and over to add infinitum. Um, whereas now you can still do that, but at least one person can pay a lot of money to buy that uh, token with that long code. And that digital file will be what in a digital vault somewhere like, and then uh, that person can have a proof that they were the one that owns this very specific piece. Absolutely. It's a nice time for acknowledgement. And uh, reflecting on it, I look and we go, we, we digitize all the things that we value. We digitize music with MP3s and, and movies with uh, BitTorrents. And we've digitized money with, well, with, with Venmo and PayPal, but now this new initiative of cryptocurrencies. We digitize our photos with Instagram and our videos. And, and now art is having a go at it. 
Yeah. I think um, painters are extremely frustrated because <laughs> all the values that they use to value their artwork just don't work with this thing at all. Like, it's so abstract, like the concept of how you value an, an, an NFT. So I think people just can't get their head around it. Hopefully we're helping or getting them more confused. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but perhaps. I think it's fair to say on, on balance that while you might see the headlines with these artworks selling for millions or something, just as with most painters struggling to sell any pieces, most digital artists and people making NFTs are not selling them or selling them for peanuts. It's yep. just some hit the headlines. Yeah. And I have my own theory about how this whole thing is operating, but you know, we can get into that later. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so, so Raphael, um, could you actually explain what, you know, exactly what makes, so, 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 so for the, for the record, I'm, I'm on the fence about all this, right. Um, on one hand, I hate it. On the other hand, um, I see missed opportunity in it. Right. Because I, I, I feel like uh, so there is really good digital art out there, but the people that are, that are kind of ahead of the curve because they believed in this for longer aren't necessarily the best artists. And I feel like there's a huge amount of incredibly good artists that could do something unique and beautiful in this particular medium. And maybe even something that, you know, there's kind of those, you know, the paintings that you put in a wall and sell, but then there's something like, an, a, you know, like an experience, maybe someone watching you paint. Uh, something that maybe an NFT could give you that a real painting in a wall couldn't. And I feel like that's where the opportunity lies. So, uh, I, I agree that there's a great opportunity there to try and bridge the world of fine art, painting, drawing, with digital, well, NFTs, but some digital way to present it. And I think you pointed to a nice opportunity, which would be something that doesn't get on the wall of the gallery. So they could be the sketches that never saw the light of day. Like, like an, a musician's B-sides, for example. Or as you mentioned, a, a, a video of your painting. It might get on your Instagram, but it never makes it to the art gallery for collectors. So that could have some bragging rights for a collector to own that ex experience. I wonder if that, and eventually augmented reality and virtual reality will, will kind of keep becoming more of a thing. But I wonder if even like a memory or an actual experience, that moment I was drawing in a park bench in Amsterdam, eating an ice cream and, you know, with you singing Letter Cohen, right? And the sunny, you know, and it was the one sunny day that Amsterdam had had probably like for that entire summer, right? I wonder if, Maybe that moment. Can you catch a memory? I love the idea. We've talked about this, the memory app. And yeah. I, I, try, I tried working on it for a while. Um, and in fact, I found two startups trying it. So not bad. They're trying, but it's not virtual reality. It's pixelated and clunky. It's on the way. Um, so it's because virtual reality, I mean, it's because neither augmented nor virtual reality are there yet. I think we're just ahead of the time, Raphael. <laughs> oh, yes. And after this this episode is released, there's going to be like 10 startups working on this. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll be a beta tester for you. Yeah. There you go. Um, but, but yeah, but, but, but before we sort of get into the opportunities that kind of, you know, NFTs could provide for fine artists, could you explain exactly what goes into an NFT? An image or a video, standard file formats. And depends on the platform you use but it could be up to 100 megabytes, basically. So not enormous. It's a bit limited at the moment. You upload this, and you give your piece a title. You can give it a description. You can actually add some sort of descriptors metrics. So you could say the medium. So you could say um, the size of the artwork or the duration of the video or I'm going to say oil painting on canvas, but I don't know how that translates to digital. You can list these qualities of it to catalog it. And then there are two extra features, which are very cool to know about. One is that you can add some hidden content. 
And this is where, well, you say, well, anyone could copy this digital image, but only one person owns it. Yeah, only the one who owns it can unlock the hidden content as the owner. And you can hide something in there, like an Easter egg. Typically, it's text or an image. It can also be a link to a file. People have tried things like coupons. You hide something in there to give it an extra specialness, a bit of mystery as well. So that's one awesome feature to make the NFT special. The second feature to highlight is that currently, if you sell a painting and then it gets resold, you usually don't get any royalties going forward for secondary sales. However, when you mint your NFT, you can put into the contract, into the code, that you as the creator will receive a certain percentage of all subsequent royalties for eternity. Yeah. And that's pretty empowering for artists, I think. Absolutely. That's part of this movement is disintermediation. Instead of a gallery taking 50% of your sale, you can take 100%. And in fact, you can take a small percentage of secondary sales going forward as well. Pretty empowering for artists. And you can track down the buyers. There's a ledger that tracks everybody that buys the artwork. Absolutely. As this is all immutable, there's this history of every sale, every auction price, every transfer. However, what you see is their Ethereum address. It's a string of letters and numbers. It's up to them whether they personally disclose their identity, their real name or their pseudonym. Like it is known, the pseudonym of the buyer of the Beeple NFT is known. He's a major collector who says he's in Singapore. This is all we know about him. No, we know who, who he is. They, oh. Well, it's uh, Vinesh uh, Sanderson. Oh, great. <laughs> I just know the med- name Metakovan, but you know more than me. No, I've been doing a diet. He's very, very young. Well, uh, yeah, so this guy, I, I think I was talking about it before. Um, so he had created uh, a different equine or something in Canada uh, a couple of years back and where he was basically, I mean, allegedly... Uh, this hasn't been proven yet. He 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 was the one behind Coin E in Ontario, Ontario, where he was pretty much stealing everybody's money. Uh, he took that money and he created. Um, I, I think he is part of uh, MetaPurse. Uh, so basically, he owns a lot of NFTs, right? Like this is my theory. Like a, so, and there's an article for this. I'll put in the link. Um, and this company that he has, um, I believe uh, Beeple owns a share of this company too. So he's basically uh, funding his own new project so he could resell it. Well, that's really convenient, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And my theory is that... Um, all this is happening now because it's just a remarketing of an old system, right? So all these people that are holding NFT assets, right? They're like, okay, how can we sell this stuff? How can we make this thing, you know, alive again? And NFT art is made. And so all the big sales that are hitting the headlines, those are people buying, you know, the people that are buying those NFT art are people who owns shares of NFT. They have, like, to them, this is just a you know pump and dump. Like, they're just taking that and selling it off somewhere else in their because own. Yeah, because they would have a vested interest in exactly, uh, like, right. like, like in the value of their own assets growing. Yep, um, exactly. So basically, like the stock market, insider trading, trading, but a lot less regulated and without any uh, SEC regulations. So. Absolutely, yeah. So this is like a perfect playground for grifters and like you know scam artists and people who want to launder money like this is perfect 
So, Tana, a week ago when you said that we're doing this podcast, you were actually so you were so eager to jump into the NFT thing, and you were so positive about it. What happened to them? <laughs> <laughs> I I found some articles that proved otherwise, uh, which is where I came up with this theory. And like I've been doing a little bit more digging, and yeah, like this whole uh, DeFi movement, right? Like my theory is that it's just all the people who are who have a bunch of like doing a lot of yield farming, like, <laughs> you know, that just have a lot of invested interest in this, want to make sure that this thing becomes more popular and they're using art artists as like ways to market them, their uh, assets. Wait, wait, uh, jump, jump back a sec. Raphael, you're going to have to define all of this for everyone. For people who haven't gone down an NFT research rabbit hole for, for a week and only surface now like Tan has, uh, mm-hmm. what is DeFi? What is yield farming? The um, enlightenment. Okay, I'm happy to speak on these, but there are other cryptocurrency things that are separate from NFTs. Yep. Um, Briefly, DeFi is abbreviation of decentralized finance. It's saying we can do everything that the traditional finance world does in the Ethereum network with code, which makes it permissionless. You don't need to beg your banker or become an accredited investor. So it's, it's individual sovereignty over your own financial assets and instruments. And an incredible number of instruments have been and are being built. It's extraordinary. So um, there are lending protocols, borrowing protocols, where you don't, they're trustless. You don't need to know the identity of the other person you're borrowing from. The protocol uh, makes sure that everyone is, let's say, safe and protected or has known risk. Known risk, it's better to say. Uh, yield farming is one aspect of decentralized finance. And simply it means that you stake one thing. So you you stake one cryptocurrency and you yield another as a farmer. Like putting a seed in the ground and a crop comes out. You stake something and yield something else. And one simple way to think about this is that it's like interest in your bank account. Typically, it's pretty high rates of interest, but there's some modest things. So there's a stable coin. It's one dollar stable coin. And if you stake this, you get approximately 7% APR at the moment, 7% annual interest, which is you know, reasonable. And there's some very fly-by-night, you could say pump and dump, high-risk, just high-risk high risk. projects which have, we wouldn't even say APY because it's not, not necessarily going to be lasting a year. year yeah. But, but <laughs> APR in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, I've seen millions of percentages, but they, yeah. they last a few days and then crash. And a few people did well and most people lost. If you're not holding the bag, <laughs> if you're not yep. a bag holder, you're good. So we might disagree on something here, Tan, is that I think you mentioned the word scam and it sounded a little bit conspiratorial and i think there's plenty of scams going on no disagreement but not everything i wouldn't paint this with a very broad brush it's it's just frothy with a lot of money and speculation sloshing around so there's everything from outright scams of bad actors to just bad projects bad ideas and things that don't work and code that gets hacked and a few gems and some, some people with good intentions, but it still doesn't work. Some brilliant ideas, projects, good intentions, and no marketing and no one adopts it. It's just innovation, evolution, experimentation in the wild, it's, and it's survival of the fittest in a way. So, so many DeFi protocols have been tried. Most have died. A few like Aave, Compound finance, it's been going strong for years now. It's fantastic. Fair enough. I think um, in the context of the art world, what are they to expect? Like in the music world, you know, there's a graveyard of musicians out there, right? 
And the same in the art world. You only hear of 5% or 1% of the people that like really hit the big times. And I like to say a word of caution for people jumping into this. You can end up losing a lot of money that you probably don't have to spare. Could you? Or, you know, how, how risky is this? Right. How much money do you have to put in to, let's say, put up a bunch of artwork? Okay. Let's say you want to put up five. Oh, to, to put the what, up. What is your risk thing. level? Okay. To create them, you can put up your artworks for zero, no cost. However, there's a little caveat to that. At the moment that they are purchased, someone bids on them, someone wants to buy them, then you will need to pay some fees for the Ethereum network to actually mint them, to, to stamp that NFT onto the blockchain in perpetuity, and then another fee to transfer it to the other person. So let's say I put up one artwork on like OpenSea, right? I'm going through the transaction, I've uploaded my JPEG, and now here comes the minting uh, part of that process. Can you explain gas fees? Sure. Just to say OpenSea, OpenSea.io is the largest marketplace for NFTs. I think it's fantastic. There are many others. Many of the others you need to pay to put up your artwork. So that's why artists are saying, hey, this costs a lot of money just to put something up and then no one buys it. OpenSea is the first to market and the biggest. And they've got a wonderful innovation called lazy minting. It's Mm -hmm. lazy because it doesn't mint it until someone buys it. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I think I was looking at uh, Rarible. Rarible, yeah. Yes, I made my first NFTs on Rarible. And I spent a lot of money. <laughs> okay, please tell us about that. What happened? What happened? I, I minted NFTs and that required paying something called gas. Gas, just like the gas for your car, is what fuels the network, the Ethereum network. Because to keep this decentralized, we need a lot of powerful computers around the world to all run the same network, the same code, keep it in sync. So we incentivize them by paying for every, every piece of code that we want the network to process. And then every computer around the world processes it. So it's highly inefficient compared to like your smartphone. It's much less powerful than your smartphone, but it's extremely decentralized, permissionless, trustless, borderless, decentralized. That's the trade-off. It means that no one can take down your artwork or your account. So we pay the fee for that. And the fee is high when everyone wants to do transactions and it's low when no one does. And that fee just fluctuates with market prices. And part of that is it it removes any spam. It's completely disincentivizes anyone from putting up junk. Although arguably there's plenty of junk. (laughs) If you got money, you can put up as much junk as you want. Absolutely. And also, the let, let's talk about the environmental cost, too, while we're at it. There's gas fees, and then there's these, this other thing. Uh, well, there are computers running, and okay, they use electricity, depending on if that's clean or not. But yeah. I, I, I'm not of that camp saying this is bad for the environment. Yeah, because I think it's, I, I, it's you can say Amazon subtle. Web Service has major servers polluting the environment as well. You can use a centralized server if you wish. Honestly, yeah. it feels like there's probably worse things for the environment than minting NFTs. Yeah, I think that uh, I was listening to some interview this morning and they were saying there are certain regions in China where they are using coal mining um, uh, the process uh, just because it just have a lot of that. And there are other regions where they're using different ways to mine the Ethereum. So, yeah, it's. Yep, it's it's not perfect. Yep, and there are also, I'm going to take an assumption here, mines for cadmium in the Congo, which is not great for 
environment or perhaps child labor or something. <laughs> if you look for a downside on, on anything, you're going to find it in a total environmental uh, analysis. Yeah, I think any, everything from like the shirts that we're wearing right now, like if you want to get down, go down that rabbit hole. Absolutely. Uh, I want to come back to your question about gas costs because it just really pragmatically, how much does it cost to mint an NFT? Mm -hmm. Um, It's a little while since I made one, but I understand that the price at the proximity at the moment will be around $50. Now it's not priced in dollars. It's priced in, in ether and it's fluctuating, but it might be about $50. So you don't want to sell one for less than that, or it won't be worth your while. But if someone makes an offer on your digital artwork above that, then you mint it and you've paid your gas and made of it. Hopefully you can sell it for a lot more than that. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, in the interest of full disclosure, Raphael is turning one of my sketchbooks into an NFT as, as, as we speak, because I was thinking that that's some, it's a potentially artist sketchbooks, which most artists actually aren't willing to sell, but everyone wants to look at. I want to look at artist sketchbooks uh, and you can do that in a gallery or a museum with a little video of an artist flipping through a sketchbook would kind of give people something that um, they wouldn't be able to get otherwise. So um, unless they check on Instagram. Yeah, but all of this stuff is replicable anyway, right? This way they get to, if it's about the, you know, the collector's rights, if about saying you own something, then this is, I guess, as close as you can get. The... Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And perhaps on Instagram, you may see a few pages, fractions. This might be the complete sketchbook. So it's, it's something unique to, tr- to try to bring from the, the fine art world into the digital space. I think it's a great idea of Venus. And it re- recalls to mind the codices of Leonardo da Vinci. There yeah. you go. You know, I feel like some of my ideas end up kind of working out well in the real world and, and some of them just crash and burn. So let's see which one this turns out to be. So um, that, that being said, so Raphael is someone who right, right now, I guess this is kind of like a side interest of yours to make NFTs for artists. Um, if someone were to contact you, what would the process be? The process would first be having a, a good conversation to understand exactly what you want. And I do this as a consultation. So I'm working with a couple of, uh, one's a, a company which works with, I can't say too much. Uh, yeah, some established artists, a lot of established artists, the distributors of their work. And we're, we're working on a project for them to issue unique digital artworks from each of those artists under the branding umbrella of the organization. So my role is to handle the technical side, whereas they manage the artists and bring in the artists for this. And, and with Dina, it's something similar. She's providing the artwork and handling the technical side. So if you have some idea like that and you like some technical support, like what platform do I use? How, what's an Ethereum wallet? How do I pay guests? I'm happy to either guide you or handle that side of it for you and just walk you through the options. Yeah, and if you've never owned um, an Ethereum wallet or a crypto wallet, um, Raphael will gladly explain it to you and probably walk you through it. Uh, will he? But, um, so, yeah, will you? <laughs> I'm assuming you would. <laughs> this episode, uh, Tan wants to do uh, what seems like it like might be an incredibly soporific demo of actually putting up an NFT, which which I'm I'm going to strongly discourage you from doing, but you might end up doing it anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I guess yeah. If if yeah, since we can't get live feedback, I have no idea if people will want it or not. So. And because Raphael is the one that's going to be doing it, it's up to you, man. Uh, could 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 you turn that in, into an NFT? Could it be meta? It would be like the uh, the, the process NFT, into the NFT of Raphael turning, you know, something into into an NFT. This episode oh, could be an NFT. <laughs> I love it. It's so meta. We could do that. I'm yeah. serious. I do that. Yeah. Uh, not not with me, Ryan. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. After this, we your can... soul will be owned, Christina. <laughs> By ones and zeros. 
You don't want to be put on the blockchain for eternity. <laughs> um, you, uh, you, you know that joke about the Scottish guy. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell in that podcast, but the pl- punchline is: it's just going to be you and me, buddy. Just you and me. <laughs> uh, and, and by you and me, I'm talking about the two of you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so, um, so, so, Raphael, what is something that you would like to sort of like, you know, like if artists were to try this, what would be some advice that you give them? I would say find something unique to be able to put up. If you just, like with Instagram, if you just photograph your finished artwork, like it would be in a gallery, it's okay. It's good. It's good. But the platform's made for something different, sort of behind the scenes, the art in context, over the artist's shoulder for Instagram. For NFTs, you've got to work with that as a medium or a platform and find something unique to show, such as Dina's idea of sketchbooks, or you can use this hidden content feature. You've got to reveal something that people couldn't get otherwise, like as a JPEG or see on your Instagram. So show something that's never been seen before. That's my yeah. first and, piece of advice. And and not dick pics, please. Just uh, no, no dick pics, please. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Is that the hidden content? Yeah. <laughs> oh no! I'm sure it happens. I haven't seen it. I never. It's either it. has happened in the NFT world or it's going to happen. Definitely, <laughs> but there's a hundred megabyte limit. It might not be logical. <laughs> After this episode, a bunch of classically trained artists have flooded the NFT world. <laughs> but they might be immaculately painted with right, oil paint. Exactly. Beautiful. Yeah, uh, I have one other piece of advice for, for artists who want to try this. Mm. I was going to say, do not just put it up and then hope that someone discovers it and buys it for a million dollars. All the successful sales that I'm aware of have been one of two things. Well, hopefully both, but <laughs> at least you... Uh, it's great if you have an audience, wherever your audience is, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, I don't know, then they are going to be your buyers. Even if they're not really into NFTs, it only takes one. Some little fraction of your audience might be interested to bid on your auction. So you've got to invite your audience over. Hopefully give them some warning, a week to, to let them know so they can figure this thing out and get familiar. And it's the artists who already have an audience that are having the big sales. It's hard to come in as an unknown artist in this. It's hard, but not undoable for sure. The second aspect of this is that if you just drop your art- artwork, mint it, and hope that someone buys it, it's really unlikely to get discovered. What's being done are called drops. NFT drops is the word being used. And it's a launch. It's an event. It's got a countdown, perhaps. You've set the time and date. And sometimes they're a bit themed or gamified. A friend of mine is doing like a puzzle. I think it's going to be nine pieces of artwork, like a jigsaw, or nine pieces of an artwork that all fit together. And you could own one of the nine or a few of the nine, perhaps. It's creating an event where the puzzle is released. I love it. Another friend of mine is releasing a kind of punks, pirate punks. In fact, a bit of a play on the, the crypto punks. And he's having a drop every Friday. A few more pirate punks drop. Do so they it's have an a event. You know? punk? <laughs> I don't know if it's been done yet. There you go. Opportunity. <laughs> done. And if you can combine those, both of those elements, bring your audience, let them know that there's an event, a drop happening. That is the best uh opportunity for success that i'm seeing at the moment okay sounds awesome um, this is a lot of new vocabulary process that um it still feels like i i got trapped in a sci-fi novel where where all the rules don't entirely make sense but that being said like anything new you could sort of deny that it's happening uh and wait for it to pass which, which is sort of what I've been doing so far, really, um, or hoping for it to pass. Uh, the other way to do it is kind of you see it for the opportunity and not for it. It's not taking anything away from our world, actually. It's adding to it. 
And in that there's kind of magic. So it's not going to kill painting. It's not going to kill art. It's just adding something to this world. Yeah. And for all the people that want to launder their, you know, millions of dollars, please, I will gladly make some beautiful <laughs> NFT art for you. Send them my way. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, so Tan will launder your money. Raphael will make your NFTs. Um, guys, thank you so much for, um, you know, well, anyone who's stuck with us through all this, thank you so much for your patience. <laughs> yeah. You made it this far. Uh, what will we, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully you're still not wondering, so what's an NFT? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Raphael, I, I hope that one day we'll meet again on a park bench in person. You know, I'll bring this guest. It's, e it's either that or in virtual reality. I, Hopefully on the park bench. What, no, I want to meet on a real life park bench. We've been in virtual reality for like, you know, over a year now. Mm -hmm. The world is starting to open. You're in New Zealand where you were probably one of the first. Were you like the first case of COVID in New Zealand? I was in the first 10. After that ill-fated trip to New York where we didn't end up meeting up. <laughs> That's right. I believe I picked it up in a comedy bar in Midtown Manhattan. Oh, no. Where we were more audience than comedians on a Saturday <laughs> night. And that's my guess where I got it. And I brought it back to New Zealand. But I gave it to no one here. Not even my mother. Nice. Nice. Um, okay. So just in case anyone wants to pick up COVID, <laughs> get it out <laughs> Uh, or have someone play Leonard Cohen to you on a park bench. Raphael's your man. <laughs> I'm your man. <laughs> Indeed. All right. It was fun, guys. All right. Thank you. All right. Hey, thank you for listening and coming along with us on this long journey. I hope you got some good takeaways from this interview. I want to let you know that we have an official Art Grind podcast hotline now. So call us and let us know what sort of creative projects you have going on during these crazy times. Let us know what's on your mind. We'll play it on our next episode. The number is 929-267-4830. Again, it's 929-267-4830. You can find us at artgrindpodcast.com. And follow us on Instagram, and if you feel like supporting us financially, you can easily hit that donate button on our website. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review on iTunes. That will really help us. We really love all the support we get from our listeners and hope to do our best to bring you more great interviews for you. So be safe out there and stay on the grind.